Welcome back to the Tasty Morsels of Critical Care podcast and today we're going to talk about ICP monitoring. Like most spaces within the body, the contents within the cranium are under a certain degree of pressure. The skull being a rigid box can accommodate pressure much less than many other compartments in the body. And the idea is that a modest increase in the volume of the box leads to a rapid increase in ICP. This is Monroe Kelly 101. It makes sense that we might want to measure the ICP as a target for intervention. So what indications might we use for said monitoring? So the Brain Brain Trauma Foundation has guidelines on when to insert an ICP monitor that seem to be followed about as well as doctors are able to adhere to hand hygiene advice. The list goes as follows. Um, So firstly, traumatic coma. So that would be a GCS of 3 to 8 with an abnormal CT scan. So that one's fairly straightforward, I think. Secondly, you can have a traumatic coma with a normal scan. And if you meet two or greater of the following criteria, that would put you in line for an ICP monitor. So these two or greater criteria you'd have would be an age greater than 40, unilateral or bilateral motor posturing or a blood pressure less than 90. I have rarely seen that um, second set of criteria applied consistently. It all seems a little bit odd. The normal intracranial pressure is usually 5 to 15 millimetres of mercury when we're lying flat. And we measure this fairly commonly in an indirect fashion when we check opening pressures at lumbar puncture. The confusing thing is that we measure opening pressures in centimetres of water rather than in millimetres of mercury. And there is a conversion factor of 1.35 that I don't find especially intuitive. However, I do have a tendency to remember by the fact that any given number in millimetres of mercury will be bigger when it's measured in centimetres of water. Which makes sense given that a centimetre is bigger than a millimetre as far as I can work out. ICP monitors typically placed in TBI patients will transduce a measurement in millimetres of mercury whereas we set um, ventricular drains or EVDs in centimetres even if they do transduce in millimetres of mercury. All this is simply a reminder that the two are not the same and it's important to check what you're actually measuring. While we have a variety of monitoring techniques we can use for ICP, including clinical and ultrasound features, the main options we'll see in a neuro ICU will be the EVD or the parenchymal ICP monitor. A list of positive and negative features of each might go as follows, and it's worth going to derange physiology for a much more detailed table and a very examinable table as well. So the pros of an EVD, um, it could be considered the gold standard for ICP monitoring. It can drain CSF and therefore lower pressure at the same time, so it can be both a tool for measuring and for intervening, and it's a good measure of overall intracranial pressure. The cons or downsides of an EVD is that it's quite invasive. A big long metal needle is placed through your cerebral cortex aiming for the third ventricle. Now there may well be important things in the path between the cortex and the third ventricle such as your wife's birthday or that guitar riff from Stairway to Heaven that you spent so long learning. Um, Some other downsides, they can get infected um, though there is frequently an element of neurosurgical denial that the EVD could possibly be a source of the fever. Um, And maybe thirdly, they can measure or drain but they can't do both at the same time. When it comes to the parenchymal monitors, some of the pros there is that they're easier and more superficial to place, um, but the downsides being that they're pricier and they have a tendency to measure the local parenchymal pressure that may well not reflect overall ICP. For example, high reading might only reflect local edema rather than some brain-ending herniation that you might have to worry about. Like all monitoring devices, they come with their own waveforms and are there for very examinable in a fellowship exam. And the typical ICP waveform consists of three separate spikes. So P1, which is the pressure wave transferred from the choroid plexus to the ventricles. P2, the tidal wave of brain compliance. And P3 represents the dichrotic notch of AV closure. Um, while certainly less than satisfactory in an audio format, the image on the show notes shows a normal ICP waveform um, 
when there's kind of a staircase of decreasing spikes from P1 to P3. So think, if you want to picture it in your head, as a normal arterial waveform, but you've got an extra little bump in between the big top spiky one and the lower dichroic notch. And um, When things go wrong, you can get what looks like in the lower image on the post where P2, that's pre tidal, the pressure tidal wave from brain compliance gets higher than P1, and that reflects reduced compliance as the brain gets increasingly tight. Finally, there are waves known as Lundberg A waves that consist of spikes of ICP rising for 5 to 20 minutes where the pressure can go as high as 50 to 100 millimetres of mercury fairly randomly. This is a sign of failing cerebral autoregulation and as you can imagine, it's a pretty concerning sign at that. References here are there's an excellent deranged physiology approach on ICP monitoring, um, O's Intensive Care Manual, Chapter 77, and the BTF guidelines cited were from 2017. Thanks again for listening. Till next time.